the reason that there are so many problems with eggs is because after 35 and really more after 37, your body just isn't as good at doing cell division anymore. Like that's it. Your body's ability to perform meiosis, like the efficacy just goes down pretty steeply after that age. And that's it. It's not bad luck though. And it's not like because you went horseback riding. Like it is just, it is just your body aging. It's one of the problems with body aging. It's not as good at doing any form of cell division anymore after that age. So I wish someone had told me that though. Like that is something that, oh, it's bad luck. Oh, this chromosomal abnormality actually had a miscarriage between my two kids too. Um, It's something that a lot of people don't think about or know about is that, you know, there's secondary infertility as well. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Leslie Schrock is an entrepreneur and investor working primarily in women's and family health. She is also the author of Bumpin', The Modern Guide to Pregnancy, which mixes the latest clinical research with practical advice for working families. Her second book, Fertility Rules which is coming out very soon, tackles male and female reproductive health. She has spoken at conferences all over the world and has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, Time Magazine, GQ, CBS This Morning, and more. Enjoy this conversation that I got to have with the incredible Leslie Schrock. All right, let's get started. That's X Check. Listeners, I mean, I think by now you know, right? Y'all know where I'm at on my journey and my relationship with regards to my health and with regards to going down, you know, the, the path to parenthood, the trying to conceive the, the journey of becoming parents, you know, for myself and motherhood and for Jordan. And we've been, we've been pretty open once we had our initial kind of open conversation with all of you that this is, this is where we're at. And, while I wouldn't say that we're being, we're not necessarily showing you every single thing that's going on behind the scenes as it's happening, but we are speaking about it much more than we were when we originally made the agreement with God, universe, spirit, like we're, we're ready, as ready as you can possibly be, as ready as we thought we could be, we're ready to do this baby thing. And that was actually, you know, of course, we have a whole podcast about miscarriage and grief and loss and staying in love and all of that. And that's from the end of 2022, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that. Uh, But we have been open to little one coming our way since probably June or July of 2022. Now, we haven't necessarily been actively trying to make that happen this entire time, but we've been very like, when it's going to happen, awesome. And it's been quite a journey. And I know so many of you that are listening, you either have children already or you're considering potentially becoming a parent in the not too distant future. I know we have a small percentage of you. So shout out to those who are consciously and intentionally choosing not to have children. And so I see y'all and I'm hoping that all this baby talk that I'm bringing onto the show isn't totally putting you off of the podcast. I'm still a cool chick, you know, I'm like still a cool sex chick. Um, but this is also very, very relevant um, to me in my world right now. And of course, to a whole like huge population and in a big part of our community since Jordan and I have 
um, started speaking more about where we're at on our journey and, you know, our ages and our health and all these things, you know, it seems as though our podcast and our content is getting shared more with people who this would be relevant to. And I know when I originally had the miscarriage, I was using Spotify as a Google search bar where I was like, can someone tell me what the fuck's happening right now? And like, how do I process this? And how do I deal with this? And what's going on in my body? And did I do it? Was it just a biological thing? Like, what can I do to not have this happen again? And like, how do I deal with being terrified that this is going to happen in the future? Am I just supposed to maybe not do this thing? Like it, other people's content, podcasts, it helped me so much. And I was deep in people's archives, you know, with their shows, listening to stories about miscarriage and, and hope and, you know, the term rainbow babies, which is a baby after loss. And so, um, you know, this is just like, it's really relevant. And I know to me, and I know that, you know, when I would find something that was a piece of content that I, I really enjoyed, I would share it with others in my world and in my life that I thought it would resonate with as well. And it was just so helpful to me. And so all that to say is I know I'm sex, love and relationships and intimacy. And a component of that is family um, and is trying to conceive in all of that. And so we've got a little bit of um, hormones and health and fertility and all that sprinkled throughout our shows. Um, and I'm, I'm recording today on the same day that an episode just released on the show that's all about legal sex work. So, you know, our show is kind of all over the map under the umbrella of sex and love and relationships. And so we're going to talk about things like erotic blueprints and the love languages and legal sex work and anal sex and kinky sex. And we're also going to talk about the sex that is a whole different level of vulnerable, which is sex to make a baby. And, um, and, you know, sex has shown me so much in my life about who I am. And, and it has definitely been a symptom in a lot of ways, like how I relate to sex and, um, how I'm showing up in sex that definitely has, has represented a symptom as to like what else is going on under the surface for me in my life. And so all that to say, going down the path of wanting to conceive and trying to be as healthy as I possibly can be as a 34-year-old woman who's never had a baby and is just now coming to terms with the fact that she even wants a family. Um, this has been certainly some of the most vulnerable sex that I've ever had. And it has been an, a time in my life that has shown me more of what's possible um, for me and and for myself, my growth and my development than any other time in life. And so I have this whole big preamble. Sometimes, you know, these preambles are like a minute and sometimes they're five minutes and 30 seconds. Um, and, and that's really just, you know, I wanted to, wanting to really cue up this episode and share with you a little bit of where I'm at and also kind of cue up what this next conversation is going to be. Um, and so without further ado, I'm going to welcome on our guest who has been patiently waiting on the other side of her microphone for me to just like get on with the context laying. Maybe she hasn't been, maybe she's listened, been just been listening as well. Um, uh, but Leslie, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank you for having me. And it was, I love hearing these stories and this is how I came to be an author actually. So it's very relevant and you're doing exactly what so many other people in your position have done. Yeah, it's kind of wild. And I think back every now and then, like I kind of zoom out and I go, what happens when we actually have a kid? And is is kid stuff going to then take over my podcast and take over my life and all those things? And you know, it's just real. It's real. I think this is for a lot of people. And I'm I'm not necessarily seeking out people to come onto the show to go, okay, now let's have a conversation about what to do 
with sex and intimacy postpartum because I'm not there yet, but I'm starting to be curious about those kinds of things. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, there's so much more to the sex conversation and the intimacy conversation than just how do we explore kinky, wild, playful sex? Like it's just so much more multifaceted. So, and this, this combo that, that we get to have, I know that it, it can possibly go in several different directions. And so, you know, I think maybe one of the best places to start is to get the audience or our listeners a little bit more familiar with you. And the one thing that's a part of your story that kind of stands out to me the most that, that I, I definitely want to hear a bit about is how you shifted into this type of work, which we haven't completely outlined what that is yet, and where your life was before you started writing and talking about fertility and hormones and female sexual health and all those things, you know, what did that transition look like? And maybe just cue us up with where you were before that transition actually happened. I've realized actually that I'm somewhat of an accidental author, actually. So, you know, my career actually started as a designer. I worked in advertising. I was, you know, working in the business world. I shifted to join a startup. And really, that is where I think my career truly started, um, where I found my passion. So, uh, I was on the founding team of an accelerator called Rock Health, became an investor, started advising small companies, and really started gravitating towards women in family health as a kind of area that I cared about. Uh, and I met the founder of Maven, which is, you know, the first billion dollar company in women's health back when she was still uh, just an investor thinking about what she was going to do next and became that company's first advisor and has have really seen it, you know, rocket ship off. So I came to it, you know, really like kind of more as a journalist, as a, you know, collector of information. I had access to all of these amazing providers, all of these healthcare companies, all of these people. And when it came time for me to start my family, which was around 35, I thought, oh, okay, great. I'm ready. Let's go. And then I had a miscarriage. Uh, first, you know, we got pregnant the first time we tried. And I had a miscarriage, you know, at five or six weeks. And it was just a shock to the system. I kept thinking, but I'm healthy and I've done all of the things and like, I'm not that old. Like, why is this happening to me? And, you know, that was, that one was, that one was tough because it was just such a shock. Um, I, you know, I got used to the idea and, and I think like everyone who goes into this process, you have this idea in your head about how it's all going to go, you know, and whether or not you're ready or not. And like, no one's ever a hundred percent ready. Like I have two kids, one's almost four and one's going to be two in July. And like, Sometimes I don't think I'm ready. You know, like it's parenting is just a whole different world. Um, it's a wonderful world. It's a hard world, but it's a, you know, you really rediscover who you are. But, you know, I think that first miscarriage was really the first moment of like, oh, shit, I really do want this. Like, there's no question in my mind that I'm ready. You know, I think so many. I mean, was that did, is that how you felt after your miscarriage? Did you feel like, uh oh, like maybe I do like this is what I want? Yeah, I think I mean this. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely like a. When it, yeah, it was odd. It was almost though that when it got taken away that I really felt the, oh, I'm meant to do this. Yep. Yeah. The intentionality, you know, really, I think when, when you lose something, you, you feel it, you feel like, okay, maybe I am ready. And so we weren't even really trying and we got pregnant again two weeks later. I had no idea you could get pregnant the cycle after a miscarriage. And this was really the start of my, my journey to becoming an author because 
we found out at 12 weeks that we had a chromosomal abnormality that was fatal. Um, you know, it's not to get into gory detail, but like the fetus had stopped growing and we knew from the ultrasound that it was not viable and it was absolutely devastating. You know, I got the results back. I learned the gender. It was like, that was the moment for me where it just became so real. And I remember, you know, being in my bathroom one morning kind of after, you know, I had to get a DNC. I technically had to get an abortion because, you know, it hadn't ended on its own yet. It was going to very shortly, but they said, you know, it would be much better for you to do it now. And I remember like my head just completely exploded. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was a thing. I always, you know, I I think I'm very pro-choice, obviously, But it had never occurred to me how essential abortion is to healthcare in those situations. And so, you know, I looked for people to talk to. I didn't really find anybody. I felt very alone. I was grieving for a long time. I went through grief counseling. But in the course of, you know, kind of doing that work, I realized that I was not the only person who had gone through this. I perhaps was just the only person who was really seeking other people to talk about it. Um, And I started doing research. I started talking to doctors. I started talking to, you know, providers at companies like Maven, you know, doulas, midwives, all of these things. And I just realized there was a bigger story here that people were not telling. And so, you know, I actually like my first book deal with Bumpin was like, quite frankly, sort of an accident. It happened because I was having lunch with a friend who eventually introduced me to my publisher. And I pitched it in a very non-traditional way. I made a pitch deck. And I really sold her on this idea that, you know, the world doesn't look the same as it did when What to Expect When You're Expecting was written back in the 80s. Most families have two working parents. Most moms do not have unlimited time off. You know, if you're like like me and I think probably you too, mm-hmm. I didn't get any paid maternity leave. I'm like, you know, out there in the world writing. I'm making stuff. I'm working with companies. <laughs> I'm advising. I'm investing. Like I'm doing all these things, but I work for myself. Right. right. I didn't who, get any. Who gives me? I give it to myself, but then like everything stops. <laughs> yeah, everything stops. And I mean, another, and we can get into this if you want, but you know, another thing I realized like when I had my, my, both of my kids is that I didn't necessarily want to just 100% stop. That's not who I am. Now, did I want to take some time with them? Yes, absolutely. But tracing back, you know, I, I wrote Bumpin in about seven months in real time while I was pregnant and actually in the weeks postpartum with my son, because I felt like it was very important for someone to have a lived experience while they were writing a book like that. So it answered all of my questions. I was going really deep on Reddit forums all over the place, interviewing people. I interviewed probably 100 providers, you know, over the course of writing that book. And it's, you know, it's done quite well. So it's pretty consistently like at the top of the lists. I've made all the lists now, which is really cool considering I had no idea what I was doing, but I just looked around and no one else was doing it. And I knew that I had the ability to do the research, to do the interviews and to really, you know, coalesce all that information in a way that people would want to read it and that it felt accessible and personal. I have my own story kind of sprinkled throughout. And I'm also very fortunate to have a medical um, editor named Jane Van Dis, who is, you know, she vets all my research and she does a full edit of all the medical information to make sure everything's right. And so, you know, but I also have lots of stuff in there uh, about, you know, functional medicine, other practices that can really improve pregnancy. And, you know, so it's, it's a very well-rounded book, I I think. And that's what I hear from most people who read it. And that's really what I've sought to do with, with fertility rules as well. My second book, which is coming out June 6th, 
um, you know, stole a Simon and Schuster, which is fun, but it really aims to answer this question that you brought up when you were talking at the beginning, which is what do you do to prepare your body? And then how does it actually work to get pregnant? Like, it's not actually just having sex. I mean, it is, but it's like about the timing it's about, and there's so much to unpack here. I mean, like, how was it for you having timed sex? Oh yeah. It's weird. Right. It's weird. The only thing that I can say that has really, there's been a few things and a lot of it has had to do with my ability to soothe myself and regulate myself and basically chill the fuck out. Because when I'm able to do those things, which takes work a lot of times, it's, you know, cause like the anxiety and the like pressure that, that comes up and I'm usually the driver in that regard. But one of the things that Yeah. I like when I remember that over my ovulation window, I typically really like to have sex. I really, I love like the energy that I feel and I love the sexiness that I feel. And I love how I turn myself on throughout the day. Like when I'm really present with myself, I am that way. And then we throw in the trying to conceive situation and I'm just like, why am I a rigid robot? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time, time, this is, and this is so important. I think most people don't know this, that it can be this way, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like the first month you're trying, you know, you like, you light the candles and you do the thing and you put on the music and you, you know, you really like try to make it palatable, but guess what? If it's been like a year and you're doing a year's worth of timed sex, you know, what's not fun anymore. Sex. It becomes like a job, you know, kudos to couples out there who can keep things like amazing. But also for those of you who may feel like, oh, shit, like this isn't fun for me anymore. Like you are not alone. It is such a common thing. Right, right. And I speak to the the partners a lot. And occasionally I'll hear things like, because, you know, I'm uh, I'm 34 now and I'll be 35 this year. And so whenever we get pregnant, like I'll be over the 35 mark, which I have like when I when I give birth at this point, like it's now it's going to happen after that age. And, and I had so much societal kind of pressure and Google machine pressure and all of about this 35 mark. And I'm like kind of panicking. I'm like, but I'm almost just, I'm about as ready as I've ever been, but only now at 34, 35. Right. So I'm like, I'm so happy that this will be this is the mom that I'm going to be already moving from now until into the future. And I can't imagine myself being a mom and having, you know, with all the work that I've done and all the healing that I've done for myself and generationally and all those things, like I'm in a much better place to do this thing now. And I'm in a lot of ways so grateful, but then there's like this kind of additional information that's coming at me. That's like, you need to do this. If you're going to do it, you need to do it. And if you want more than one, you got to start this process, you know, yep. and, that, and that pressure too. But anyway, I, I kind of back to the, the the partners, the partners sometimes, and I get, like get in conversations with them and they're like, yeah, you know, but it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be this way and it's supposed to be that way. And I don't want to, I'm not really that into it. If she comes at me and all the, and I'm like, Hey, yo, do you have any idea how much of a fucking shit show is happening inside of her head right now? Stop that. Stop that. Go hug yep. her. Go hug her. Go be with her. Go hold her. Go tell her it's okay. Go tell her she can relax. Tell her that you're fully on board. Tell her that you want this too. Like tell her, hold her, be with her, help regulate her. Like this is a wild experience. And I had no idea that it was going to be that way until I was all of a sudden in it. And I'm literally like, it's before sex and I'm crying. 
And I'm looking yep. at my husband and I'm like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like I don't, I literally don't know what's happening to me. And I'm like, and this isn't sexy. And we're in our peak window. And I'm like, how do I get this to be sexy? I'm like snotting and I'm crying. And he's like, babe. But at first he was like, I don't, you are, who are you? He's like, I don't even know how to interact with that. And so it's just way more fat. It's like so much more multifaceted. Then I think, you know, when I was growing up, it's you just have sex and then you have a baby. And I never thought anything really of it. That's, that's, you know, growing up, it was like, well, you have sex anytime. If you just look at them, if you oral sex, well, and that's, baby. and like, what fault is that? It's the fault of the sex education that right. we all get or don't right. get is this right. more appropriately. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're taught how to avoid sex, but we're not taught about fertile windows. We're not taught about yeah. the pressure of, you know, conceiving on this timeline. We're not taught that there are really only like, you know, it's basically like five days every month for most people where you can get pregnant. We also don't talk about the fact that so many women now are, have been on birth control for like a decade before they try to conceive. Getting off birth control for the first time in a decade is also a complete, like, it's a mind fuck. I mean, I absolutely changed as a person when I got off of birth control. Like, Nick was like, wait a second, like, who is this? You're like, you're not the same. Like, you're very testy because I'm very focused and, you know a little alpha professionally, yeah. like at home, I like home to just be peaceful and cool, as cool as it can be with Same. like two kids under four at this moment. But, you know, like we have a peaceful relationship. We are very like great partners. But I think your point about partners is so important. Thank goodness you're telling people all of this because partners need to be told. Like they're not mind readers. No one teaches them how to be a good partner, especially in the, you know, in the conception process, no one tells men how to prepare their bodies either. I mean, this is such a huge part of my new book, actually, which is that I realized like most people don't know half of fertility problems happen due to, you know, issues in men's bodies. It's not just women. And yet women are tested and treated first, oftentimes before men are ever even evaluated. 25% of the time during an infertility evaluation, men are not even checked, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so that's something that really needs to change. But again, who's telling them? Men will do just about anything to avoid healthcare. They don't like to interact with the system. They don't like to go to the doctor. So we're up against so much. But I'm here to tell you, like, you know, I had three miscarriages over the course of, you know, getting my two sons uh, into the world. And we had to communicate. Like, I had to say, hey, not feeling so great today. I really need you to do X, Y, Z or like, hey, can you just like give me a hug right now? I just like, I need to be an emotional sponge. Like I just, I need that. I crave that. Or like, you know, I mean, so like five total pregnancies, lots of timed sex. I would get to the point sometimes where I'd like just make a joke. I'm like, well, you know, it's time again. Like, let's get to it, you know, and just try to keep it light because it it is a drag sometimes. It's not always that fun. Yeah, and then I'm I'm in the same boat. Like I normally like sex is great. Have a great sex life. Love it. But after that and even like after two kids, it just totally changes. And I think we're not we don't talk about that. Like moms talk about it. Like once you have kids, you're like indoctrinated into this new world of moms and everyone's like, "Ah, we've been waiting for you. Here is the truth. <laughs> like here is life." And you feel so much less alone. Uh-huh. But before, you know, I think, frankly, it's the same with pregnancy. We don't tell women very much about what that experience is really like. We don't prepare partners to be supportive um, and to really get involved, which is why, like, it only occurs to them they're having a baby after the baby actually physically comes out of your body. So anyway, it's um, I, so I love so much that you're doing this work with with men. It's really important. 
as you may know, not only am I a sex, love, dating, and relationship coach, but I also teach other coaches this niche craft. The Sex and Love Co team and I have now run our signature coaching program, Sex Coach Prep School, for over three years and have helped over a hundred coaches develop new skills while learning how to run a successful coaching business. The program has evolved from a 12-week program to a four-month program to a seven-month program, which is when I realized this isn't really a prep school anymore. So we decided to make some changes, make the program a little lighter, and build in everything you need to know in order to determine if sex and love coaching is the right career move for you. So Sex Coach Prep School is now a six-week program covering topics like sex education, relationship structures, coaching tools to use when working with clients, and so much more. Starting in June 2023, SCPS now includes three live virtual sessions, six modules, 22 educational videos, exclusive private Facebook group access to our students, a one-on-one support call with one of our Sex and Love Co. team members, access to two additional bonus business-related offers, lifetime access to the Sex Coach Prep School program, and a community of sex and love coaches to lean on and learn from. SCPS is also a great program if you are already a coach who wants to add some additional intimacy skills to your coaching tool belt. And if you're ready to change your life and are all in on up-leveling your coaching career, our larger and more extensive program, now called Sex and Love University, is coming in fall 2023. Side perk, go through the new and improved Sex Coach Prep School and your investment counts as credit towards SLU. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about becoming a sex love and or relationship coach and completely and totally changing your life this year. Yeah, it's huge. Wow. And and it was funny as you were talking there, I just like had a, I had a moment. I just reached over to my phone and I just typed sperm analysis question mark to my husband, which was planned as you know, that, that was another part when you were just saying like yeah. 50% of the fertility deal and this male factor in fertility. And I have two friends recently that went through IVF because their husband was the reason why they yep. couldn't get pregnant naturally and went through many months of trying before figuring out, you know, one of them, one of them was born without a vast deference, you know? And so yep. he just <laughs> cannot, cannot, like the sperm can't go from his testes out through his body. And yep. so- they knew right away. Like that's something that he knew from college. He was like, I always knew that like I'd see porn and like they would ejaculate and it would come out so fast (laughs) and it would come out so forcefully. And he's like, and mine would just kind of like not do that. And so he's like, I knew something maybe wasn't quite right and, uh, and got that all, all tested. And then it was like, oh, wow. So now anyone that I go into a relationship with that wants to have a family is going to also having to be signed, has to know, like they're signing on for, if we want a family, it's, it's more, yep. it's going to be the IVF, more likely the IVF route. And then I have a, a friend with a, um, had a vasectomy and then had a reversal and then scar tissue. And so also a vast deference issue. And so, uh, you know, and then wound up having to go through, through IVF, but yeah. And, and before that it was, it was for motility and it was, yeah, just, just due to substance and very substance use. And that was affecting the speed and the shape and all of that. And so, um, I actually, Jordan, my husband had a sperm analysis appointment I think two weeks or the week after I got the positive pregnancy test, like the week of. And he was like, well, I guess I don't have to, you know, do this anymore. And so I was sitting next to him on the couch and he calls the place and he's like, and the the lady goes, oh, okay, well, you want to reschedule? He goes, well, 
we don't need it. And she goes, oh my gosh, congratulations. And so it was this whole moment. And then that was back in October of 2022. And so, um, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth with, do we just want to surrender to this? Like we got pregnant on the first time, like, you know, very, not the first time, but like pretty early on and, you know, going actually through the miscarriage and then having the medical intervention post, which I didn't have to have a DNC, but I did have shots of methotrexate. Mm. So, you know, I, I released the episode and shared about the miscarriage and that whole experience and all of that. And, you know, towards the end of that show, I spoke about how I was so grateful that it was pretty straightforward. My body recognized it, my body released and all those things. And then about two weeks later, we realized my HCG was increasing. And so I either had, I had an, an, a pregnancy of unknown location, you know, that, that term. So it was either an ectopic or it was retained tissue. And so I wound up having to go back and I got blood work. It felt like every other day for such a long time. And I was just poked and prodded. And then I had, you know, an early biopsy and just all these things. And I had to, you know, get these shots. And it essentially just had us push out when we could try again. And then it was yeah. just like, so in the future, it felt when I was ready. Now it's like, why, if this is going to happen, why couldn't it just like, just be straightforward? Like I thought it was going to be. And then it was, you know, po after getting this, this chemo drug in order to have the retained tissue come out and all this, it was, you know, the instruction from the doctor, which I could have decided not to listen to, but it just was like, I'm just going to listen to all of you people now. But it was don't try to conceive, like let one full cycle go by, let the drug do its job, let the full cycle go by. And then once our HCG is back down to zero, then you'll be clear to try again. So that would be a six weeks from when the actual shots were given. Um, and then there's a type of sex that isn't often talked about, which is sex when we want to have a baby and we're trying to have a baby, but now we're trying not to get pregnant when we want to be because we're healing. And yeah. like, I cried through so much of that, you know, cried that experience. And that's like so real for so many people. And it's, and it's well, and you know, the thing is that I think I know why so many don't talk about it. Like I, I know why now, because, you know, I did my, I did EMDR on this particular experience and, and gone to, you know, the therapy and went really deep into my healing so that I could understand. Cause it, it was like, I was getting triggered by lots of things. Like I was in a store and, a, and I heard, you know, like the difference between like a tiny, tiny baby crying and like, like a toddler crying. Anytime I'd hear a tiny baby cry, I'd immediately cry. I'd immediately, like my body would just react to it. And I'm like, I've, I've like, this is my responsibility. I have to get a hold on this. And you mentioned going through grief counseling and I went through, you know, EMDR and had my own little process there that I was figuring out, but it's just it's just so much. And I, and so I understand why people don't wind up talking about it more and it's so healing. And I'm so grateful to those that do talk about it because there's people that are essentially suffering in silence because they don't know, they feel alone. They don't know what to do with it. It's like a, or weird... you feel like you're the only one. Yeah. You feel you... like you're the only one going through it. Like yeah. you're experienced hearing the tiny baby cry. Ugh. I mean, that is like your body is wired. So like one of the weird things that happens during pregnancy is like your body physically starts like responding to those cries. And then after you have the baby, forget about it. Like then you start leaking milk. Oh my God. You might start crying when you smell them. Like there are all of these really, you know, biological um, processes that happen that, you know, you're just not prepared to to do. I'm curious, like what, what did your doctor say about your miscarriage? Why it happened? Um, so I would imagine she used the term, um, blighted ovum, 
So it would have been like a chemical pregnancy or some variation of that. And that implantation happened, but nothing grew. And by the time that I had started spotting and then I was bleeding and then um, by the time I actually wound up getting in to see the doctor several days later, there wasn't anything that she could see on the ultrasound. And it wasn't until a few weeks later through blood testing to make sure that my HCG was going down. And then we realized it was very slowly going up, which meant it's not a new pregnancy. It was only then on that ultrasound did we see like swollen retained tissue that was filled with fluid. And at that time as well, um, it was as if, I, I don't know what necessarily caused this. And I've had, I've had an ovarian cyst removed in the past long ago. And of course, like after I had it done and I was in my early twenties, did I realize like, I probably didn't need to have that surgery. Because I've had multiple doctors tell me, then, you know, those usually just go away on their own. I'm like, fuck, okay, well, I'm learning. I'm definitely learning this whole, like holistic way of letting the body do its thing and be wise and also leveraging modern medicine whenever it's like a really good idea to do that. Um, but when we did that, that ultrasound, we found the retained tissue and several really like uh, there was, um, I think, two medium size ovarian cysts you know, functional ovarian cysts on one side of my ovaries and like three on the other. And, and they all went down. Like, so it was just, she just responded with, it looks like there's a lot trying to happen in here. And so it was like, maybe my body was attempting to ovulate because the HCG was going down and then it started creeping back up. And so it was was this really weird place of like, I felt so foreign to myself where I'm like, what I've, I'm so regular. I feel like I understand myself. I'm like, I'm charting the moon and I'm charting my cycle. And I'm like, I'm like this person that has this relationship with their cycle after being on birth control for four and a half. Well, being on birth control basically since I was in high school, but having an IUD for four and a half years before my, my husband and I got together, we were together about six years before I had that removed. But anyway, yeah, that was, that's what she, she shared, you know, in the, in, to answer your question, it was the blighted ovum, chemical pregnancy. That was the idea. And I had a biopsy of the tissue which is really fucking painful, but I had a biopsy of the tissue, which led us to believe that it was very straightforward. So what do I do with that? No, that's great. Yeah. I think like one of the things that I've discovered, like I've, you know, I hear from readers a lot, which is that you hear the words bad luck a lot when it comes to miscarriage. Well, it was just bad luck. So the reason most miscarriages happen is because of a chromosomal abnormality that either means that, you know, when the sperm and the egg meet up, something has already gone wrong in the egg, which is most of the time what it is. Um, Or something goes wrong later during mitosis. And then the egg can't, I'm like really taking you back to high school biology right now. But, you know, it just means that basically the embryo or later the fetus is not viable. And it's, there's nothing you could have done about it. Like it's it most of the time miscarriage is absolutely not your fault. It's not because you exercised. It's not because of something you ate. It's not because you had a party night before you realized you were pregnant in those early weeks. Like, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome is actually due to drinking throughout a pregnancy. So typically, like if you had done anything that destructive, you would have just probably miscarried before you ever even knew you were pregnant. Right. But the reason, the reason that there are so many problems with eggs is like you kind of got at this earlier is because after 35 and really more after 37, your body just isn't as good at doing cell division anymore. Like that's it. 
your body's ability to perform meiosis, like the efficacy just goes down pretty steeply mm-hmm. after that, after that age. And that's it. It's not bad luck though. And it's not mm-hmm. like, because you went horseback riding, like it is just, it is just your body aging. It's one of the problems with, with the body aging. It's not as good at doing any form of cell division anymore after that age. Yeah. So I just, I wish someone had told me that though. Like that is something that, oh, it's bad luck. Oh, this chromosomal abnormality actually to miscarriage between my two kids too. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't think about or know about is that, you know, there's secondary infertility as well, which is when you've already had a child and then you go to have a second or even a third or maybe a fourth in some cases, and you have trouble in between. And it's because something has probably changed between, or you're just older. Right. Because I can tell you my two pregnancies with my two boys were very, very different. So yeah. And anyway, it's, but to anyone who's had a miscarriage, who's listening, like it was not your fault. It's just yeah. aging. It's just aging mostly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a tough um, thing to kind of grapple with because I think f- for me in some ways, and I'm sure for a lot of people, it's like, but what do I do? What can I do? And right. it's um, some level of like some element of, I want to be able to take responsibility and do all the things the best that I possibly can. And also, attempt to surrender to this thing, you know, it's really an interesting place to be because it's like, what can I do? And sometimes that comes from a healthy grounded place. And sometimes it's what can I do because I'm attempting to control something that's, that's quite literally uncontrollable, which is apparently all of parenting. Yes. Well, yeah, I think a lot of that training happens because when you later have kids, like they are who they are and you can do your best and you can be the most supportive, wonderful parent in the world. And your kid is still going to do stuff you don't like. Like there's so like I have a giant cut on my face because my little one is like in this clawing phase. I'm like, but bro, like it, it hurts. Like, please don't <laughs> do that, you know, but and he's so cute. It's like it's hard because I'm like, oh, you're so adorable. And then he's like Wolverine, you know, yeah. on my on my face or like, the you know, I have two boys they're super rough with each other. It's, you know, like it's, it's hard sometimes, but it's the, the issue of control is something that comes up a lot during childbirth as well. So if you talk to people and there have been studies done that show this as well, which is that a woman's satisfaction with the way childbirth went is associated with her sense of control, whether she had control over what was happening to her body, what other people were doing to their bodies, what she was doing with her body, that is oftentimes what dictates whether someone feels like childbirth was a good experience or not. Yeah. And I think it's so true with pregnancy as well. Um, and and there is like, I, I get it. Like I went through a lot of loss myself and I kept thinking like, what do I do? Like, how can I fix it? Yeah. You can't fix cell division. Like you can't Benjamin button your body, but you can take a lot of steps to really, you know, go into pregnancy with your healthiest body and go into, you know, even conception. So like taking prenatal vitamins, both of you, you know, guys can just take a multivitamin if they want to. Um, but there are men's prenatals out there. THC use is actually a huge problem. Yeah. It really borks sperm. Most men don't know this, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely something like people assume because it's natural or it comes from a plant. It's like totally fine. It's not good for your fertility. Um, men sitting in saunas, not good for your fertility, cycling, like if your husband's like a Peloton fanatic, you can get a noseless seat if you want, but really he should just take a break uh, mm-hmm. and and stop with the cycling. But there, there are little lifestyle factors like this. I think another one that's really important is food. Um, you know, for anyone listening who really wants to take steps to prepare their body for pregnancy or for, you know, trying to conceive, you'll see out there a lot of, and I'm sure you've been like Instagram targeted already. Like I'm sure you're seeing so much of this stuff in your feed. 
there are so many influencers out there right now trying to get you to do a detox, get you to do their special program, get you to take their supplements, whatever. I'm a big fan of telling people what not to buy. And what you should not buy is any of those things. Because I think we hold people to this standard of perfection, which is not attainable for the vast majority of people. Um, I'm a huge fan of the 80-20 approach to pretty much everything, but really food. So the idea is 80% of the time you eat healthily, you eat whole foods, unprocessed foods, organic if you can, um, really try like try to cook or at least like get a meal delivery service where you kind of know what's in your food. And then the other 20% of the time, like you can eat what you want, mostly like you just can't binge, you can't, you know, go completely off the rails in that 20% time. But also, you should have some fun, like food should not be so restrictive. This is how we develop really unhealthy, you know, relationships with food. So, you know, Prenatals are the only supplement you absolutely should take. CoQ10 is great too. Both people can take that with food. Skip the trans fats, added sugars, anything processed. I don't really care for artificial sugars either. Um, I think there's a lot of emerging evidence that's not great. Stop like microwaving your food in plastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how a lot of, you know, of that is transferred. And, um, you know, and do what you can. Like, I think you you spoke so wisely about, you know, going on this journey to kind of make peace and to find ways to process and deal. I think like we're all so glued to our phones, glued to the internet, glued to TV, glued to all this stuff. And really like taking a minute, going on a walk, like finding an activity you like, getting outside, getting into the into nature if you can. Even like, you know, I live in New York, like go to Central Park. I mean, I live closer to Prospect Park, actually. I live in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, there's so much you can do. It doesn't feel like you're in as much control when I, you probably are listening and thinking like, okay, Leslie, I can take a walk. That's going to make me feel like I'm in control. Yeah, actually, yeah. it's a good thing for you. It's a good thing. Um, you know, another, yeah, another one of my favorite things is taking a bath every night. So, mm-hmm. and I still do it. Once my, my kids are really good sleepers, I'm very lucky. Uh, but I take a bath every night. And that is kind of how I shut the door between my day and sleep. So getting good sleep hygiene in there, getting good sleep habits too. Yeah, I've learned so much. It's kind of wild. So I have a, a friend that just wrote a book called That Sucked, Now What? And it, the the general idea, if you can imagine, right? It's like, well, that really fucking sucked. Now what do I do? You know? And it's kind of like, how do you turn a mess into something that's that you know, is, is actually for you in the long run. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, going through miscarriage or going through, you know, having that experience going through it, it was so heavy at the time. Now, when the actual miscarriage happened, it was really, really sad. And I was really sad, but it didn't get really hard until I had to start getting poked and prodded at the doctor right after that. And then when it looked like our timeline was getting pushed out and it just was, I had zero control over. That's what it felt like. And that was when it got exceptionally challenging for me. And it was in going through that, I was like, I know one day, one day I will look back at this time and go, here's some good in it. But right now this really fucking sucks. And I'm going to choose just to let it suck, like all the way suck. And I'm not going to try and talk myself into it'll all be for me in the long run and all this. Okay. And so several weeks to a month or so go by and, you know, the depths of like grief or despair, this version of it, or this time for me to move through it. I learned some things about myself 
And then I started having to take care of myself in a way that I was essentially refusing to take care of myself before the miscarriage. I had to show up for myself. I had to say no to things. I had to stop overcommitting. I had to adjust my calendar. I had to give myself space. I had to have certain conversations with my husband that you know wouldn't have come up otherwise. And there was so much unraveling that had to happen. And there was so much of what am I doing with my life? And can I keep working like this? And all these things. And I'm, I am this certain thing for so many people, but I don't have that support for myself. And I can't, I can't keep pouring from an empty cup. And it was very, very, very clear just how empty my cup was when this happened and when the miscarriage happened. And so the adjustments that I made with my relationship with myself and the foundation of my relationship, of course, with my, my husband, but my relationship with myself was so deeply impacted that I can't imagine. Like I, I looked at him the other day and I was like, can you even believe like it's March? We'd be having a baby in the beginning of July. Like I'll never forget. And this is still a little bit emotional. I got like, I'll July 1st is just like going to be a date that I will remember forever because that, mm. that was the window, you know, that, that first week of July. And so it's like, can you even believe like so much of my way of being has shifted because I went through that? And so it's like, a, that sucked miscarriage. Now what? I'm going to be an even better mom. I want it more. Yeah. I want, I'm going to, I'm making the space. I'm making the changes. I'm caring for myself. And so there's, it's just this why the whole thing is really wild. And I'm really like hoping that like the universe and whatever the deeper meaning, if I want to make it like doesn't have it to where I have to go through that again. And I'm also like, you survived and you'll survive again and you'll survive again and again and again. And that was, that, that was one of the commitments that I made to spirit of our own unborn child, children, you know, I don't know how many we'll have, but it was very much, a, I will go through all of that over and over and over again for you. And yeah. it's just like, it's big. It is. Well, and also there's so much work to do on yourself before you have kids making your peace with all of this. So for me, I went through grief counseling because even the idea of being pregnant again after two losses, especially that last one, which is the hardest experience of my entire life. Like I went to get my abortion basically, and it was a wanted pregnancy. And I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And then I go to the hospital you know, I'm getting this procedure done that I don't want. Like, of course I don't want it. And they're asking me all these questions. Like, is someone forcing you to do it? Is this, you know, what you like, would you like footprints? Would you like this stuff? And I am like about to lose my shit in there. You know, they took me, you know, away from the friend that was with me. You know, they had to, I guess, cause it's protocol, but I was just like, can we just skip to the part where I like, yeah, I don't want this. I don't want any parts of this. But I remember talking about it in therapy and just saying like, it all feels so unfair. Like I've been through so much and like, you know, what about this? Can I change? And she was like, really, it's like, you've got to just process it and say goodbye and make your peace and whatever feels, you know, right to you. Like here are some suggestions, like you can burn sage, you can, you know, go to the ocean and like release, like you can, there are all kinds of like kind of little rituals and spiritual things that you can do. But I realized very quickly and even like through probably it was through the whole first trimester with my first son. I was just a wreck. I was so anxious. Yeah. And so then I went back to therapy. <laughs> I just was like, I can't. I can't live my life looking like looking in the toilet every time I pee, looking for bad news. Like every time. And she was like, okay, 
what are you going to do about it? And I said, well, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do in those moments other than distract myself. And so I wrote about this in Bumpin', but I never told anyone what it was because I was embarrassed, but I'm going to tell you what I did. Great. So Great. every <laughs> every time, every time I had to go to the bathroom or I wanted to Google some symptom, which was like, and by the way, OBs do this. Everybody does this. This is a universal thing. It does not matter how much you know. Everybody does this stuff. Being pregnant is just a total trip. It is a crazy thing. So, but everyone, a lot of people have anxiety. In fact, sometimes OBs have like the worst anxiety because they see all the things that go wrong. But I downloaded this horrible game on my phone. It was like Harry Potter, Hogwarts Castle or something like that. Because I always like, you know, I found myself like wanting to, anyway, the the day that I got the procedure done, uh, I actually, that like happened to be on television and I like watched it while I was in a really dark place and something about this, you know, it's like a particularly dark one of the movies, but I felt this like connection with it. I downloaded this stupid game and I played it and I played it every single time I felt anxious. I was like, I'm not going to open Google. I'm not going to like go there. I'm just going to order. I'm going to play this game until the the feeling passes. And it did. And I got to like year six. That's how much I played that game. Like I played the shit out of that game <laughs> because I just couldn't like I couldn't I didn't have any other way, any other place to put it. I'm like a pretty strong person, actually, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stop myself from wanting to do it. And so that is what I did through both pregnancies. I had this stupid game that that was the purpose, or I'd like text a friend or something, but sometimes I just like, it's like, I just want this to like, stay with me. I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to like complain to my husband. I don't want to like bring this up every five minutes because that is what it feels like. So anyway, Harry Potter, Hogwarts, mystery or castle or something that was, yeah. You're, yeah. you're the first to know. <laughs> well, you know, for, for me, um, thank you for that. And that's, you know, that's, that is sound advice, you know, because not all of the things need to be like processed with girlfriends or processed with husband or processed with, you know, and you've got time in between when you have your therapy sessions. And so like, you don't just, you know, someone who like, whether they consider themselves to be an anxious person who has experienced anxiety or if the anxiety is new because of fertility you know, and pregnancy and all of that. All it's new like, over here. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Okay. Like, well, what is that? Like, am yeah. I having a heart attack? Am I, I oh, am literally yes. freaking out? Like, I don't know what to literally. do. Literally. Yeah. So fortunately or unfortunately, my experiences with anxiety started in like college. And so I already know what that shit feels like. I'm like, oh, hello, old friend. The fuck do we do now with you? Like, Harry Potter. That's oh, what you okay, do now. <laughs> I mean, recently I've been, um, everywhere I go, I have my Kindle. It is, I bring my Kindle everywhere. And I, um, I listen to, so Bumpin' will be one that I listen to if it's on, on audio. Cause that's my, my favorite it is. way. You'll hear my voice. This kind of information. It's my favorite way. And then my Kindle is filled with like kind of smutty fantasy, you know, where it's just like, it's about other worlds and fairies and like magical creatures and stuff like that. And then like erotic stuff. And then I'm like, okay, you know that, and that just like sweeps me away into like a totally different place. And so I'm just going to leverage that even more hearing, hearing this. And so anyway, I thank you. I mean, a lot of this conversation has been stuff that I'm, I, that's, that's particularly relevant to me. And I really do want to know, and I'm very curious about the actual fertility rules. And so, um, you know, I feel like I've, I've gotten, 
I feel like I'm a mad scientist sometimes where I'm like, I've got the LH strips and I've got the basal body temperature thermometer and I've got the flow app and I've got the Daisy app and I've got all the fucking apps. And I did go through a window of time where I deleted everything, where I removed everything and I was like, you just need to chill out. And I, you know, have the book Real Food for Pregnancy and I've got all my friends around me right now having babies, you know, their first one, or they're going on to their second one or have, you know, really close friend that we're on the the journey together. Like we're and that is such a, I can't even be, I could do a whole podcast episode talking about how weird it is to have gone through miscarriage and be like, we said yes. And, and, and started trying like just a couple to a few months before one of our best couple friends. And the, the like, odd terror that I started experiencing thinking she was going to get pregnant before me after I had miscarried and I'm older than her. And I'm just like, this is affecting my we're going to a baby shower. We're going to, we're going to, a baby to a baby shower. I, I, I was yeah. actively bleeding from the like methotrexate and that whole thing. And I was part leader in one of my best friend's mother's blessings. And at the end, she like gave me her, like her crown wreath from the day and was like, I want you to put this on your fertility altar. And I was just like, you know, like, it's just the mess. I'm just a mess. And I'm like, why is this my story? What the fuck? Like, it's so, uh, oh, I was, so I was out with one of my best friends and he and his wife pregnant. We actually had due dates within days of each other. And then I had this second miscarriage I remember she was around seven months. So like the really cute bump, not the like, oh God, is it coming out any moment now bump (laughs) or the like, are you just like burrito bump? I was out and they were like trying to cheer me up. They were being such wonderful friends. And we were like at this art fair um, at Fort Mason in San Francisco. And I like all of a sudden couldn't breathe. I was looking at her. I was looking at the bump and I couldn't breathe. I just couldn't breathe. And I said, I have got to get out of here. And I said, hey, guys, like, so sorry, got to go, like, you know, got a text, whatever. I went home and I cried for like an hour, just cried because it just it felt so unfair. Like I had these plans. I was like, we'll do it at the same time. It's going to be so great. Isn't this awesome? Anyway, but it just didn't. So I think there's so much. Um, a lot of people don't know what to say when someone has a miscarriage and it's very personal. Oftentimes, though, I think the best thing to just say to someone is like, I'm here and you got to just show up and keep showing up. I liked it when people send me weird gifts. I still like it when people send me weird gifts. If you want to send me a weird gift, that's cool. But, (laughs) you know, or like a weird internet video, like Panda Sneeze. Have you seen that one where like the baby Panda sneezes? Oh my God, I'm going to send it to you after this. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, I watch it when I like really need to sleep or to, you know, just like reset my brain. I have like all these tricks now. This is like another thing that this experience has given me. I have this toolkit of like how to solve my mental health moments, um, which frankly I wouldn't have had if I hadn't gone through all these miscarriages. Our favorite place to shop for crystal, glass, and metal toys is Yoni Pleasure Palace. Sacred squirters, cervix serpents, Yoni eggs, prostate massagers, anal plugs and beaded wands, G-spot massagers, and something Jordan and I use all the time and even travel with, our plush velvety waterproof blanket. Every product feels so special when it comes from YPP. It's probably because of the care that is taken not only in the development of the toy, but in the packing and delivering of the toy. When you collect, because it's definitely a collection of sexy works of art, when you collect a new item, it comes with not only information on how to use it, but to also respect and revere it, along with cultivating respect and reverence for your own body and your own sexuality. I can't sing YPP's praises enough. 
To add to your collection, visit yonipleasurepalace.com and make sure to use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, at checkout for 15% off your order. And pretty please, if you share your items on social media, tag me. I'd love to see what you choose and celebrate you. So you want the fertility toolkit, huh? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're down, I'd also love, you know, I don't know how much time you have here, but I'm glad that I reserve an hour and a half for these shows. You know, if there's like a, a few extra minutes, because I'm, I'm curious about that component. And I know that you have a book that's coming out. That's about that. And so I'm excited for that as well. And I'm also curious how your husband, like his role in all of this and how all of this was for him and how you two like stayed connected through it all. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we still have, even with two small kids, we have a great relationship. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes like, you know, I'm like, really? You think that's a good idea? Okay. Or like, really? You don't want to do X, Y, Z with the kids? And then you just realize there are like these fundamental differences. It doesn't matter how involved a dad is or how great of a father a dad is. Moms ultimately are like just in charge. Like it's just what it is. Cause your kids want you when, when they have a boo-boo, they run to you. Like it's, it just is. And it's universal really like with most kids. But, um, you know, my husband, the first two times, you know, I, I was working in, in women's health and talking to a lot of people and really, you know, involved, but the first miscarriage, we were actually in a remote part of Canada. We were going on a backcountry skiing trip and it happened. And I actually used Maven while I was gone to figure out like whether or not I was miscarrying. And so we went down to the hospital, we got the blood tests, had to go back 24 hours later and then showed the HCG levels were falling, but they did an ultrasound and they were like, yeah, you're definitely pregnant. Like it's, you know, but let's see what the blood work says. And I knew from the amount of bleeding and, you know, all the rest of it. But I would say that for me, you know, I'm really fortunate because he just lets me be who I am. He supports me exactly the way I am. You know, and I'm like, I'm ambitious and I'm, you know, taking on things. I'm like trying to punch above my weight on a bunch of projects. And really, like, I wrote a piece about sperm in The Economist and like he was my number one fan. You know, he, when I wrote Bumpin', he helped me edit the sections for partners. Um, and I talked to him a lot about that. Um, he, you know, he's got his own small business and he's kind of in a, you know, the same world I am uh, other than writing, but really like we're just tireless supporters of each other. And I tell him when he makes me mad, I'm like, you need to do better about this. Like, or actually one of the funny things that uh, I had to make him do because I was writing the second book is I can't have any more children. Like physically speaking, it would be pretty risky. I had some issues with my uterus during um, the birth of my second son. And so they kind of told me like, well, you can keep it, but you can't use it again. And I said, well, cool. I'd, I'd like to keep my uterus. I'm kind of attached to it, but I promise I won't use it again. But I got the, I, uh, and I'm actually an investor in Legacy. I invested in Legacy, the sperm testing company while I was writing the book because I realized like, holy shit, like, why are we not talking about this more? This is such an issue. And I made him get his sperm tested because we knew pretty definitively, like it's probably chromosomal abnormalities with my eggs because of my age, like it just, and the situation, like what, what was going on, you know, they said bad luck, but I figured it out. It's like, okay. And then I talked to a bunch of, you know, genetic counselors and other people in the writing of both of my books. And they said, yeah, I mean, that's almost certainly what it was. We just don't like to tell patients that because, you know, it makes them feel badly. And I'm like, well, I like the truth. So I want the truth. Like, just freaking tell me I can take it. Like, I know I'm not, you know, the youngest person to have a child this year. But anyway, I made Nick get a semen analysis and his 
like results were awesome. So I was that even like, you know, but that also helped me make peace with it. Also writing the egg chapter of this new book. Um, I'll give you a, another thing that I haven't shared with anybody yet, which is that you heard, it you know, first folks, more than, than one, first, more than one. Well, so I, writing a book is interesting. Writing a second book is, is also interesting because, you know, it's a completely different beast, you know, bump and I wrote in real time. It was very, kind of like in the moment as it was happening, talking to tons of people. And now like I'm Siri for pregnancy with everybody, like, you know, pretty well-trodden stuff, but I really wanted to trace back what I wish I'd known before trying to conceive or even in the throes of my miscarriage journey. Like what were the things that I felt no one was really telling me that I now know retrospectively actually really mattered. So some of the things I said earlier, like men should not be cycling all the time, going in saunas all the time, you know, these basic rules about nutrition that actually can help people feel successful rather than saying like, well, if you're not perfect, you're never going to have a baby. It's like, no, no, no. 80-20 is good. 80-20 is a great goal. And it's an achievable goal through a pregnancy too, because what you want is to start, you know, your pregnancy with a healthy body and a healthy mind and then be able to sustain it because, you know, you're not actually eating for two. It's not a thing. Like you need like a couple extra hundred calories in the second trimester and third trimester, but really it's a matter of listening to your body. So there are, you know, a number of little tips and tricks that you can do to improve your lifestyle. A lot of it is stuff that you probably like don't take recreational drugs, cut down on drinking. You know, cannabis is a huge problem because people just think it's not an issue, but even for women, it's not great. Like it's really not great. It's really not good for sperm. It's not an issue in our Um, house. We're both, yeah. I'm well, very weird. Cannabis has never been my substance of choice. Actually, I don't really have any substances of choice, but that one's one where like I take it and I'm like, I am so weird right now. I hate everything about this. And it makes Jordan, um, he can't sleep. So ne- neither of us, that's never really been a thing for us. And every now and then I'm like, huh, well, maybe I'll give it a try again and just see. And then like, as soon as I all of a sudden feel high coming on, I'm like, no, 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 abort mission. I never want to do this again. <laughs> but I've had a number of friends that have had issues with this and it's coming out more and more. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I don't think we're talking about it as, as enough, but so one of the interesting things about writing this book is, you know, you write your first book, little publishing tidbit for everybody. You like you write your first book and everyone, all your editors, like, I want to see like every chapter as you finish it. In my case, that wasn't possible because I had to, my deadline was so fast. But with your second book, they're like, oh, okay, you've done this before. We'll just look at a sample chapter and then you can send in the whole thing. So that is how I worked. You know, I sent actually my sperm chapter, which I loved. I really loved researching that and and working on that because I felt like it was, you know, uncharted territory, especially in the canon of kind of pregnancy and fertility literature. And then it came time to write the egg chapter. And it's, I'm going to go back to something we were talking about earlier, which is that I hated being told bad luck. Like, why? And so I wrote the chapter and I said, you know, like they're really, once an egg is chromosomally abnormal, you can't fix it. Like sperm, three months of good behavior, you can improve sperm parameters, assuming there's not like missing vas deferens or some other physical issue. Even in that case, you can do a testicular aspiration and usually you can withdraw sperm. So like guys are lucky. There's a lot more you can do. Varicocele is another common thing. With women though, like you can't take a bunch of supplements. It's not going to fix your eggs. It's just not going to do it. You can do things to help promote good egg quality, but there's not that much great evidence around any of it. And it ultimately does come down to age. Like that's the truth. And I remember talking to my editor about it and she's like, well, Leslie, like that's, that's kind of tough, you know, like, don't you want to give people hope that they can do a thing? And I said, well, they can do all these things because it's not just about your egg quality. It's also 
the quality of your endometrium. Like that's why they want you to wait a month before you conceive again, because you've got all these hormones coursing through your body. You have an endometrium that was kind of built up and ready to receive, you know, an egg or an embryo rather. You've got to let it go back to its normal state of affairs. So, and that's another reason that like frozen embryo transfers actually are also popular is that during IVF, you know, you can do fresh or frozen. Fresh means you you take it, you let it culture, and then you you put it right, right in there. Frozen means typically it's because you want to test, but frozen embryo transfers happen later. And what they're finding in some cases that, you know, letting your endometrium heal fully from, you know, all of the retrieval drugs um, can be very beneficial. So I wrote this chapter and my editor was like, I had two editors this time actually. And they were like, wow, Leslie, egg chapter, really short. Don't you want to like be a little more, you know, detailed here? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm sick of all these books talking about like all that matters is eggs. Like it's just not true. Like you need lots of things. And they were like, okay, well, you know, maybe go back and look at it. So one night, and I like actually don't even really drink that much anymore. That's like another thing that I've kind of given up just because I don't, you know, I've turned 40 and I just don't feel great anymore. Like yeah. even like one glass of wine, but I kind of needed some liquid courage. And I was like, why is this so hard for me? And then I realized I just have to write the truth. I just have to write. This is about cell division. There's nothing you can do about that other than optimize the rest of your body. But like, this is why it happens. Like, I wish I could give you lots of things to do, but this is why it happens. And women should know this is also why egg freezing is not always successful because you cannot know the quality of a single egg. You can't test egg quality. There's no test for it because if you test the quality of a single egg, it destroys it. It's just one cell. So, you know, and I know like it's even hard to talk about this because I wish that I could just give like great, like great news. You can totally fix your egg supply. What I can say is if you have low AMH, it doesn't mean you're never going to get pregnant. It just means like you're maybe a little closer to menopause. But AMH in isolation is not a good indicator of natural fertility. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't necessarily know. So anyway. And it's also real. Yeah, it's... I only knew that my odds were going to go down as soon as that time, like as soon as the clock ticked, 35, happy birthday. Now you're geriatric and you'll be lucky if you, if you can do it. And it's, it's so just, it's all such a trip. But then living in Austin and having the community that we have here, and it's so many people who are in very similar kinds of dynamics and positions that I would say my husband and I are, entrepreneurs in personal development. Um, authors, podcasters, you know, it's it's very trendy city these days. Um, And, and I'm noticing, you know, there has been several families that was, you know, originally the couple, maybe they were married and then kind of settled and found their way to Austin. And as soon as they found their way to Austin, then the baby started coming. But the majority of the, the women that I'm noticing, and I'm seeing that are, that are starting their families are at least over 33, 33, 34, when they're getting started. And there's a handful that just recently were either 39 to 40 that had probably their only child, but maybe not. Maybe not. But maybe not. And, you know, there's, I think that it's empowering when you know the information and not from like a, I have to force this through and I have to control everything and all that. But just really, even for me knowing now, like, this is the reality of it. And so there is a higher likelihood that I will experience another one at some point if I also go to have another child after the first one. Like the odds are just more stacked in that favor versus 
when I was 25 versus 35. And I couldn't even imagine being the 25 year old version of me was like, I don't even want to consider what that kid would be like right now. Like, I, like so different, my whole life. So different. Well, first off, they, they wouldn't have my husband as their father, um, because we've been together about five years. So yeah. Um, wild, all of it. So wild. And so, so what I'm hearing in the fertility rules, cause there wasn't any like, kind of like this rule, then this rule and this rule, but it's mostly like you, you can only do so much, like remove certain things from your life, the baddies, which we know alcohol and smoking and processed foods and the sugar and all that, and then optimize life. And if you, you would laugh probably, I think you'd laugh. You'd kick out of this. If I could play back any conversation that I've had with my husband at the fucking sauna, he knows, he knows, he knows now. And for some reason I have a whole process when he says he's going to this place or that place in Austin. And I know that there's a cold plunge in a sauna in that place. And I go, are you going to go in the sauna? And he's like, now he's like, babe, I already know. Don't go in the sauna. I'm already not. But as he's getting ready to go, I'm like having my little mini panic. And I'm like, trust your husband, trust him. He's his own person and he knows. So those are the components. But then also just, I think surrendering into it is what it is. Optimize your health, optimize your stress level, like lower that, all these things, like take, be proactive with all of it and understand the sperm quality um, and what action you can take there. Understand what's going on with the eggs. Is there any other thing that that's, you know, in the list of the rules maybe, so to speak that, I mean, I'm sure that there is. I'm like, that's important for us to know. There's a ton. And if you want to know the rest, and if I want to know the rest, I can read the book. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I mean, so I'll tell you, like the book's actually split into three parts. So it's fertility rules. Like here are the rules about your fertility. It's also fertility rules. Like fertility is awesome. It tells you so much about your body. It tells you so much about your overall health. It's such a, it's, it really should be like the menstrual cycle and sperm quality really are biomarkers. So you can tell a lot about your overall health just from looking at how both of those are, are trending. Um, but it's really split into three parts because what I've realized is most people know nothing about their menstrual cycles or eggs or sperm. So there's like biology class up front with like fascinating little historical tidbits. Like how did we think babies were made a long time ago? Like what is kind of the history behind this? How did we get where we are today? Also, partners love the history sections. There are some in Bumpin. And like all of my like early readers who who then went on to their husband, they're like, my husband has been reading this all afternoon and like shouting facts. Did you know the first time anyone ever saw an egg was, you know, and she's like, yeah, I read the book already. And then they're like, wait a second, I'm going to get pumped up with him because like, you know, it's great that he's engaging in reading this. So it's really a guide to male and female reproductive health. First section is everything you probably think you know, but you don't. The second section is like really optimizing those different lifestyle factors that you can control from, you know, nutrition, exercise, mental health, endocrine disrupting chemicals, which is a really important topic. And then we go on to talk about how babies are actually made, which like that five day fertile window, like if you're waiting until you ovulate to have sex, you're probably not going to get pregnant. Like sperm can live in the reproductive organs for up to five days So what you really want to do is start five days before you think you're going to ovulate and have sex. Every day is fine. Every other day is probably even better, but you can do it every day if you want. No reason to do it more than that though. Like you want to optimize for sperm quality. Sperm quality dips if you have too much sex. So like also he shouldn't be masturbating. You should just like, you know, keep it in whatever room in your house you prefer. But, uh, you know, that's how you get pregnant. And then like, 
do it on the day of ovulation too, for good measure. I'm a big fan of, you know, there are a lot of people who are really strict adherence to like um, symptothermal method, things that incorporate cervical mucus monitoring, basal body temperature. Those are all fabulous. If they work for you, it is great. Charting is great. Use an app. Don't use an app. Do whatever feels good to you. But I will say I am also a huge fan of ovulation test kits because I think that they dumb it down for people in a way that it makes it very, it's like a yes, no. Like, do I have the LH surge or no? Mm -hmm. Um, So another thing a lot of people don't know is that, you know, basal body temperature can change based on your sleep quality. If you have a heating blanket in your bed, if you've had alcohol the night before, it's not really, this is why it's like so dangerous as birth control too, because a lot of people like don't track that and then they don't see the trend and then they're like, whoops, because like half of pregnancies are unintentional. So it's a thing, but I like the OPKs, ovulation Mm -hmm. prediction kits really like if you're thinking about conceiving, what you should do is start a month or two before, Mm -hmm. get your OPK, just like pee on a stick for a month and just see kind of what your ovulation window looks like. They can tell you whether you're supposed to ovulate. They can't confirm that you actually did. This matters for people with, you know, PCOS and other gynecological conditions that can impact ovulation. A rise in progesterone is really the only way you can tell. And then it's the two-week window, the two-week wait, the dreaded two-week wait. You got to pull out whatever your Harry Potter thing is for for that moment. I mean, oh my God, I played that thing so much during that period of time. That window, it starts off strong. That window's the worst. It starts off strong every time. And then I'm like six days, DPO, days past ovulation. And I'm like, is it too early to take a pregnancy test? And they're like, Alexa, yes, it's too early. Stop it. Stop it. Well, an unpopular comment. I already know Like, if there's anyone who's in their two-week window right now who's listening, you can hate me if you want. I strongly encourage people to just wait until at least the day of your missed period to test because if you're going to have like a weird miscarriage in those early weeks, like, you know, which happens a lot, like we don't even really know the true miscarriage rate, but like HCG levels are usually not high enough to detect until then. Even these early test kits, like I don't care what all the manufacturers and companies tell you. The best way to do it is just at least wait until your period's supposed to arrive and test on that day. That's going to give you a better idea. And if it's negative, it could still be positive because implantation doesn't always happen like very, very quickly. Right. You know, if it's positive, then you know, but if it's negative and you still think you could be pregnant, you can test every day after that if you want to. I would suggest, you know, testing every other day. You know, it's going to involve a lot of Harry Potter, but, you know, like just... But it's just the thing that's going to give you the best the best answer. And it's so hard. And I think more data is not always better either. This is a lesson I had to learn the hard way. I had Same. like all of the things mm-hmm. at all the test device. I mean, mm-hmm. also because like my writing and my work, like I have tried every single possible thing. I've talked to every founder of every single company. And in the end, like all of that data was not helpful for me because of who I am. Like I am a person who likes to overanalyze things and really... I mean, you can read my books if you want to see that in, in real life. But, um, you know, it wasn't helpful. It wasn't helpful for my mental health. And cortisol levels really do hurt fertility. So you've really got to find ways to manage. And that's another reason. I think it's really good to go down the road of thinking about, you know, do you want to do a little therapy or find the thing that works for you? Like, is it meditation? Is it mindfulness, breath work, yoga, running? Like, what is it? Don't run like too much or too hard. You don't want to do that either, but everything in moderation, right? Like moderation is the name of the game. If I had to like write one word for, to describe pregnant, like fertility rules, actually it's, it's moderation. Like I think for most people who go into this process, 
they want to be perfect. They want to control everything. They want to just be able to kind of power their way through it. But in the end, you've got to also sustain it through a pregnancy, you know, so, and as early days as a parent, which is hard. Oh my gosh. It just seems like one wave after the next, after the next. It's just like a bunch of shit I can't control. Like I said, towards the beginning and, and I'm so with you there at first, all the data uh, felt empowering um, because here I am, I'm like, I'm healthy. And I, I mean, according to me, like I'm healthy. I have very strict uh, parameters for like the food that comes into our house and where it's sourced and how and all these things. And I have an amazing community and I have an amazing relationship and I love my work so much and I want this baby and here all, and I've kind of done the work in order to get to the place where I want the baby, you know? And so here I am, like, I've, I've got all these things and, and I'm not 35 yet. And so that was like a part of my whole, in my mind. And then, um, I'm like, okay, well, how fortunate for me that I also am aware, like the work that I do, I'm aware of the OPKs and I'm aware of, and I work with couples and women all the time about starting to track their cycles for the first time. And what does it look like to track? And what does it look like to chart? And which, what kinds of, if they're going to use birth control, what does that look like? If it's pull out, if it's, if they're going to do the BBT, if it's going, like, what is it going to look like? And so I've, I'm, I'm in that world already to that, not necessarily for fertility to get pregnant, but like just so that they know, so that they know their energy levels and they know the, um, the way that they might be feeling and how can their partners support them and ways that they can support their menstrual and like when they bleed and all that. And so I'm like already there, I'm like, wow, look, I have all this information. I'm winning. I'm already winning. And then I start like peeing on the sticks and doing all the things. And then I realize like I'm actually opening my flow app or my pre-mom app just as much as I'm opening my Instagram app. And there's no new information. I'm literally just, I'm just like, like an overbearing habit now that I'm just tapping these apps to the point where I'm like, this is actually not, this isn't helping me. And so I've been now in the last few months, where's the in-between, you know, where is it? I have just enough information and then I can surrender. And so, um, is it true? Cause I'm pretty, I'm, I've been operating under this assumption that if your cycle is, let's say a few days late and you're not pregnant in my understanding is that you're a couple of days, maybe later to ovulate because your luteal it, phase is typically the same. Is that right? So it depends on the person and it depends okay. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, different, like only, I think it's 13% of people have a 28 day cycle. And your ovulation right. date can actually range. Um, typically, actually, interesting. So like total N of one, but this is fundamentally true. Your ovulation date can also change like between pregnancies. Right. So, you know, just because you ovulated on day 14 with your first one could be day 17. This time could be day 11. Yeah. Like you've kind of got to do a hard reset like between pregnancies and not assume that you just know what day you're going to ovulate and different things can push it out. And then like implantation can take longer than you think, or it can be quick. So there's just like a lot of, you know, even if you have all the data, there are just a lot of unknowns. I mean, you just kind of have to do the best that you can to get like a good idea. But again, this is also why like taking the step, just have sex like every other day or every day once. Okay. And it can be whatever time of day you want, but you know, take some of the pressure off too, because I think this is another thing that I realized writing this book is that because we seek to be perfect, we get so up in our heads about it. Like, oh, I messed up and I, you know, I ate this thing that I shouldn't have eaten or I did this thing that I shouldn't have done. I'm never going to get pregnant now. 
The reality is like, you know, even the 35 thing, by the way, like it's the start of a decline, but it's not like it goes like this. It's just, you know, it's been going kind of like this and then it just kind of goes like this. And then at 37, it starts to go more like that, but it's egg quality that declines. And as long as you still have eggs, you know, we still have like close to a thousand eggs, even when we hit menopause, it's just the quality declines. That's the issue. It's not like running out. You're not going to like, it's not going to be like what's been going on here with, with eggs in the grocery store. It's not, there's no run on eggs. It's just like, you know, the quality is just not the same. Yeah. Yep. Well, Leslie, thank you. You went OT and I'm super appreciative. You know, there's just, there's so much to this conversation and thank goodness for you and your work and your books. And yeah, it's so enlightening and helpful. And I for sure appreciate the perspective you're with your with regards to your background that then led you to doing this type of work and writing in this way because it feels really real and it feels really personal versus, you know, some books that I have on the shelf that feels primarily sciencey and biologically um, oriented and and it feels a little less personal. And so this definitely feels more personal. And I appreciate you like sharing your personal story with us, even though I know that they're in the book too. And, and, you know, it's one thing. Not all I, that was in the book. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm like, you know, it feels one way when I write it and then send it off. And then it feels different when I then go to say it out of my mouth, you know, like it, it's, it's just a really interesting thing. And yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful and appreciative for you taking the time um, to come onto the show and share your story and share your knowledge. Yeah. And this episode will come out probably you know, in the buildup and the lead up to your second book coming out, which I'm really excited to also get my hands on. And so um, is there anything else before we round this out? Because I know we're, again, a little over time, but um, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience where they can find you? Um, any mention of the book again? Well, I'm now on TikTok as of oh. like yesterday, basically. You go, girl. Um, so yeah, I know. it's. I feel a little old, but it's also really fun. I'm doing fertility history on TikTok now. So yeah, I'm I'm trying to have fun with it. But I think like, you know, I'm so happy when I get to have a conversation like this that is not just focused on like, yes, I have, I'm not a doctor, but I have access to many, many clinical experts. And all of my writing comes from that place. I'm not making stuff up. I don't do paid ads. I'm not trying to sell you supplements. I'm not trying to sell you a program. I'm just trying to like sell you an education, like things that are grounded in science and actual knowledge. And that feel realistic for most people instead of saying like, you got to just do it my way because what feels right to you may not feel right to somebody else. Like what feels right to me is not going to feel right to you. So, um, but at the end of the day, I'm also a real person who, who went through all of this and who felt angry at, at what was out there and, and the conversation that we were having on, on so many of these topics. So yeah, I'm on Instagram, uh, leslieschrock.com. You can write me anytime. I love getting notes from readers. I'm always happy to answer questions. I am legit Siri for pregnancy with everyone I know, like at all hours of the day and night. <laughs> so, you know, like, please write. And if you have questions or feedback or comments and um, Bumpin's for sale now, you can find it everywhere. It's in most bookstores and it's, I love supporting local bookstores. So if you have a local bookstore, buy it there. But if not, the internet can help you out. And Fertility Rules launches June 6th. And I couldn't be more excited about it because I, I actually am... I think it's going to be an important conversation. Mm, I love it. Leslie, again, thank you so, so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.